Good morning, can you hear me? Um, I have a sermon to give you this morning. Uh, my pleasure to do that. Before I do, I've just got a story, a bit of a show and tell I, I have to give you from a, a trip we did back in April, um, myself and Patrick. Uh, this is what we call the Rocco Peel Community Partnership Against Poverty. And um, it was a combination of some uh, people from the congregation at the OEG in Mandra and some, some other people from around the area. Uh, that's a team. The gentleman in the yellow, his name is Erlan, and he was um, our guide for this tour. And uh, you can see the guy with the sunscreen on the bottom there, that's Patrick, who came along with me. We did a, went to a precinct uh, behind that wall of rubbish there. Um, there's a, a precinct, if you like, um, probably, it's not a very big place, it's probably about four blocks by five blocks in our normal, normal terms, and you can see it's quite dirty. That's the local playground. Uh, a swamp full of rubbish. Next one, Wayne. This is the first family we met. And what was his name, Patrick? Young boy? Roni. Roni, charming young man. Uh, this is one of the few people in the Compassion Project who has a father and has an intact family. So this is their family. The next one, hold it, Wayne. Um, a little bit too fast for me there. Uh, yeah, this is uh, Selena holding the little teddy bear down below. She had her father with her as well and another family. Move along, please, Wayne. Um, and this is Karina with her mother. I mean, the, the photo doesn't tell you much, but the, they lived in a room that was that wide, okay? And it was a sauna. It was an absolute uh, horrible place to be in for 10 minutes, let alone to have to live in. Um, we visited these people. Hang on. And, uh, and her mother, and uh, we, we brought them rice, and we, we brought them some water, and we, we shared their story with them. And... Uh, Selena, oh, sorry, Karina wants to be an air hostess when she grows up. Thanks, Wayne. This is James Kunigawan. Uh, his father is absent, uh, disappeared, and his mother, um, his grandmother, those, goes out and works for them selling peanuts. And, uh, you know, listening to those people there, um, their stories are a little bit hard, their life is a bit hard, and they were just so amazed that we should travel over there and visit them. For them, it was just mind-blowing and amazing. Next one, Wayne. And this one here is Sharina, who was uh, the first face of the program when I, I came here and launched it about a year ago. And um, I don't know, I just, something about her really drew me in. And anyhow, I got the chance to meet her, Wayne. And um, this is her grandfather and grandmother. Uh, her father disappeared and her mother's been hauled off to prison. And she's left in the care of her grandparents. Obviously, they're not in the greatest health to go out and work. And uh, again, they lived in a very small box. She didn't say a word, didn't smile. Um, and I'd like one day to see her smile. They were quite desperate, you know. The, there were tears when they didn't want to be. You know, with all these people, the, the situation they were in, um, there was, you know, a sense of desperation, but there was always a sense of dignity as well, which I was very impressed with. And this one here, you can't see it very well, but this family has six children, and they live in an area that is probably twice as wide as this, and about this deep, got a kitchen and a toilet in it, um, it's all dirt, um, and he sells little napkins for about 10 cents a pop, and he has to sell quite a few. So they weren't part of the, our, our sponsorship program. Uh, they were another sponsor's um, sponsored family. It sort of blew me away, you know, what people have to do with it on every day. You know, it's not... Poverty, I guess, uh, in some sense, you think about people just scrounging around, not, eat, not eating from day to day, but then you have just a continuous little bit of everything, and that's never certain, is that uh, the hopelessness aspect of it, and that spiritual poverty, um, which is 
prevalent in all those families. This is the, um, a church we visited where they do the compassion program. And uh, next to Erlan, on the right, you can't see her very well, this is the minister, the pastor of that church. And his story is a good one. And this is the one I want to relate to you today. That he started his life as the son of an imam in one small part of Indonesia. And he got given the word. And as a small child, he began to trek 12 kilometers every Sunday to go to a Christian church um, because the, so, so strong was his belief and his faith that he went against his community and his family. He wasn't persecuted as such, but it wasn't supported. Now, over the course of time, his family and his community has converted to Christianity. Now, a large part of that was to be with his walk and his faith in his walk. So he left his town and went to Jakarta and he had a vision that he was going to create a church. And that vision was communicated to some people until one day a gentleman walked up to him and said, I believe you want to start a church. Do you have a place to do that? He said, no. And the gentleman said, well, I have some land and you may purchase that land. He said, I have only 100,000 ringgit, which as you know is about 10 bucks or less. The guy said, done. Okay. And he took the money off him and gave him back 10,000 ringgit as a tithe towards the church. Another gentleman in the community came up and said, I have a hardware store. You can have anything you want from my hardware store to build your church. Now, these are people who do things extraordinarily, conversely different to what we are like, what we are raised like. I mean, to, to actually just outpour in that sense of have an open house. And he created this church with the help of all the, uh, the other people of the congregation. And uh, through Compassion, now he petitioned Compassion for five years or so, he said, until he started getting their support. They have 80 single mothers which they are supporting on the uh, Child Survival Program, uh, 140 children, which are on the Child Development Program. Um, and so that, that's a tremendous success story to go over and see that. And when we go to this church, we see your names on the wall. And some of you people have taken up sponsorship, the Jacksons, the Comas, uh, the Sawyers. We see your names on the wall. They look at your names and they pray for you all the time. They come to this place every weekday. So through this program, your, your money that you're donating gives them an education which doesn't come out of their parents' pocket because they're trying hardest to feed them. It gives them the medical care and it gives them the spiritual guidance. And I think above all, it really gives these people who are a bit hopeless, who are a little bit alone, a little bit worried, a community in Christ. They have hope. They have friends. And they come along and they get away from there. They're faced with their reality and they get faced with the real reality their relationship and their community with Christ. And uh, here's some of the kiddies. They, they tried to get, they made Patty sing this song over and over and over again. I don't know what it was, but it was quite a hit with them. Uh, a big, vivacious bunch of kids. Thanks, my Wayne. Yeah, some of the local rag bags. And in the background, you can see uh, Karina's mother there, beaming, smiling. You know, like when you get involved, there's a, there's a beautiful spirit amongst these people. Thanks, my Wayne. And next, next April, we're going to be looking at Kapang. We have some more Compassion Children, which we're going to be uh, sponsoring out. And, and the invitation will go out. Some of you may have seen that already, that we will look to go to Kapang and Bali and uh, extend our reach in there. So that was our trip. We're going to uh, hear Matthew 5. Uh, and Nick and I got together and we discussed it. And, and in the context of that, in the context of what's on my heart lately with... Uh, um, the footsteps in our heritage and where are we going from here. And uh, Matthew 5 came up because the salt and the light, okay, the character, but also the light, what do we represent? And, and what does the community see us as? What do the people out there see us as? 
the beginning of Matthew, we, we hear the, the birth, the genealogy, the lineage of Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham. Uh, we hear about his attempted assassination at the hands of Herod. We hear of John preparing the way and Jesus' baptism and anointing with spirit, 3.16. The preparation of Jesus, fasting and being tempted for 40 days. And this is significant. And this proves, you know, the, the nature of his ministry, the nature of his kingdom. He didn't need food. He didn't need protection of himself. And he did not need riches, wealth, power. He did not need any of that. And that's to be kept in context for the rest of everything he preaches. Whenever anyone tries to bring it back into some material aspect, it's not there. He went to Capernaum as prophesied in Isaiah 9.2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, light has dawned. And he commences to preach, 4.17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He calls the disciples, 4.19. I will make you fishers of men. Preaching, healing, teaching. He had large crowds from Galilee, Syria, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea and Jordan. And that's a big area. When you're talking about a large crowd and they've all come from that area, he's, he's done a bit of distance here. And we, we have probably thousands of people following him. They're not all disciples. Some of them are just people coming on for a squizzy bit of entertainment. Some of them are there because they want to throw a few stones, because they want a bit of intelligence. No, there's all types of people there. And then we have him uh, moving up to a mountainside or down from a mountainside, depending when you're looking at Luke or Mark. But either way, he went up to a mountain to get away from these crowds and pray and get some firm grounding again. And then he came down to speak to his disciples. I chose this painting, uh, not that I'm going to do a lot of slides today when I'm speaking, but um, pictures paint a thousand words. I'm trying to do this just to lead you up to a point in time and take you back to where they were and what they must have been thinking. Here we are, this man has called us. We have thousands of people down in the valleys below following us. They must have been apprehensive. And if you look at the expressions on some of their faces, they vary. Now, this isn't a snapshot of picture of what happened. But have it in mind. They're worried. Some of them are worried. Worried if they're good enough. Some are worried if, if he's a... They had doubts. They were human. They had all these different aspects of them. The disciples were human. And here they are listening to him preach. It's going live, I think is the best way to put it. It's actually going viral. They're on the cusp of something huge. And how would they have felt? So Jesus said, I'll start from the beginning now. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now we have the Beatitudes, but I'm going to start with the salt and the light. Okay? You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And the characteristics of salt. Why did he use salt? And some of you all know that uh, valuable commodity in the day had properties of flavour, had properties of preserving. It was, a, it was used as a, a form of currency. Now we could look at this as a commendation or a warning or encouragement. It depends where you are, what you're doing. But he's setting a blueprint. The salt of that day came from the uh, Dead Sea area and a lot of the time it was mixed with impurities. It had to, you have to be refined to get it out. 
So salt itself is a very stable compound, but when mixed with impurities, it loses its properties. The main properties of salt, I think, in this context are preserving and persevering. Salt itself, as I said, doesn't lose its flavour, but it can be made impure by what it gets mixed with, what it gets contaminated with. It's uh, very useful if you rub it properly into meat. The Africans, you can make biltong. It can last for a long, long time. Mixed with the earth in the, in the context of this, these disciples of Jesus have come to prevent the moral decay and spiritual decay of earth. And he's telling them, you need to maintain this. You need to maintain a character. This is unique. Salt is unique. And it's very emotive of that. I remember hearing um, another person explain it as an aroma or a flavour. The Christians, you can't identify a Christian. You might have someone run down there in the 70s. I remember these outfits they used to wear and you know, your Sunday best and, and Christians behaved a certain way. But it's the flavour that comes out in the way you interact and your relationships. So Christian saltiness is Christian character. And the, the Beatitudes, I believe, are the blueprint is what sets that character. It's very simple yet very profound. I'm just going to run through them quickly. Um, but it's my, my feeling on why these are important. For those who are poor in spirit, and the characteristic, characteristics that those people will have is an acknowledgement that you have nothing to bring. You're spiritually needy. You're empty. And uh, I guess from the reason why this might be the first of them all is it may be a prerequisite because if you come and you've got something to bring to the party, you've already cut short. You've already put yourself in a position where, I don't know, you've elevated yourself, haven't you? Those who mourn, and to mourn over poorness of spirit, to mourn over the injustice of the world. And that's a sign of repentance of wanting to change. You're repenting over your poorness in spirit. The meek. Humility based on a true estimate of what you are. If you're above that, if you're a, if you're a proud person, you're an opposite to what God wants. You're an opposite of the spirit. You have, you have to be answerable. Not the know-alls. And the beautiful part of this and why it's important is the meek is that they're soft and malleable and they can be worked with. And they inherit Hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's a natural progression from all of those states of being, isn't it? You want justice and you will be filled. And it's fuel in the tank. It's adrenaline of the soul. So these first four are like uh, human conditions. These are the, the, the aspects that we find in ourselves. And these are why we have been called. And this is what we have to hang on to as well. Then the next one rolling on from that, and they're all a, a, sort of like a, one is a natural progression of the other. And then we move on to the outward pouring of this, and that is to be merciful. Relief from misery as opposed to grace, which is relief from guilt. Okay, we, it, this is a, a physical, this is something we make happen. We comfort people, we be merciful towards them, as God is to us. We've not repented unless we've been merciful to others. And it's an evidence of our own forgiven state. And that's the Lord's business with us. 
and a pure in heart, the single-minded, the unconfused, the sincere. And I see this person as being an Achilles heel or an icing on the cake. This is the bit that we know about only and God knows about. This is the inward side of it, the pure in heart. It's a thing to be guarded. They will make their home with you if you have that pure heart. You will see God. That is the blessing that comes from this one. And the peacemakers. Forgiveness where regret and admission exist. Evangelism. And they bring glory to God. And then persecuted. Wow. This is a great blessing. Whoa, happy. The, the, the word for this is apparently happiness. Happy is he who is persecuted. Leap for joy. Persecution is a sign that you're loyal. It's a sign that you're different. And it's a sign of defeated worldliness. You've been made unique. I think it's a sign that you're doing something right. If we're all happy, and this is a real critical point in this time, I believe, you know. So out there in the world at the moment, I look at it as being, you know, my personal view when you're talking about light, it's light shining over a dung heap. It doesn't have a lot to offer. It has a lot of rot. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's very important, I think, that you can actually just recognise that and defeat your worldliness and understand where that all stands. And persecution is a good symptom of that. Next slide, please, Wayne. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For the same way they persecuted the prophets who went before you. You're going to be faced with things coming up uh, in times coming ahead. You're going to be faced with lies. And it's been very, um, a very bad symptom of, our, of the faith to adapt and try and blend in with the world. We have to be in the world but not of it. It's a very important part. You have to be differentiated. Because when those heads pop up out of the dung heap and look for something, they need to see something standing out. Next one, Wayne. The light. And that's the light. It uh, talks about you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put it. light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify God in heaven. Now, actions. What can I do? What are my actions? I can go and build a church. I can go and uh, say great things, stand up, I can uh, help needy people. But I think the actions are very much to do with our relationships and our presentation, our testimony, our teaching correctly, our sharing and our transparency, our mercy, our peace, and our persecution. That's what needs to be seen. It's hard to get persecuted these days, isn't it, you know? But I, I remember back, I was watching uh, Questions and Answers on ABC. Has anyone ever watched that interesting show? They get a panel, all walks of life. Usually they throw a Christian there and mix him up with a few homosexual activists or environmental 
greenies or great literatures, musicians and the like. And the gentleman, I can't remember his name, and he was representing the Australian Christian Lobby on the issue of homosexuality, he came up, and bang, it was on to him. Now they asked him the question about it. And you could just feel all the, the rocks that were in the audience, you know, waiting on that answer, waiting for that proud Christian answer. Stand up and point the finger. And he stood there on national TV quite calmly and with all great love and sincerity he said, why is their sin any greater than mine? All my sins. I mean, why should I stand above theirs? But I still call a sin a sin. And he's not going to back down and go, oh, look, it's okay. I mean, it's a little bit grave, but rah, rah, rah. No. When there's something you need to be repentant of, then we need to say that. We need to identify that amongst each other. And this can be done with love. Calm, sincere love. Another one too. Then is uh, everyone, everyone ever heard I'm from Mississippi? Some of your older crew might never heard of I'm from Mississippi. Uh, nah, well, if you're from Mississippi, and if you're in America, you probably know it. Do you ever heard of it? You never heard of it either. <laughs> Maybe you have to be from Mississippi. I don't know. <laughs> but it says, "Show me, don't tell me." Show me. Show me your light. Okay? That's a black slide, but I don't know, if you look hard enough, if it was a dark room, you'd see something in there. There's a little light. Okay? And it's just a, a visual depiction of like how obvious a light is, no matter how big it is. It doesn't have to be a big, glaring, blinking one. But if you're in darkness and you pop your head up looking for a light, it's pretty easy to find. Like a ship on the horizon when you're out there in the middle of the sea at night. Now these are the seeds. You are the light because you've made relationships with people in your community. They know where you are. You're their light. And it's because of the relationship you've made with them, not because you've been pushing onto them, but because you've loved them and wanted to know them. And this is why it's such a fertile field in this church, in this community now. There's um, a group back then, or a sect you've heard of called the Essenes, the Sons of Light, they call themselves. And uh, they used to withdraw into caves or live in this little society that no one knew what they did. And their light obviously was shining, but only for them to see. So this is, let's get these relationships going. So it's our responsibility not to conceal it out of sin, laziness or fear, but to step forward, you know, with confidence. It is really fertile soil out there and they need some light. You know, if you think about it, about a seed germinating, if there's no light, out it goes. Anyway, I'll just summarise. The salt, the character, the character of Christians. Let it be an encouragement to you where it needs to be. Let it be a warning to you where it needs to be. As it is to me. I've, I've had a wonderful experience this week coming to to think about how to put a sermon together but to be honest with you it's, it's very much a case of letting go and some people have told me that they do it strictly out of selfish means for what they get out of it but we can all step out we can all do different things there's nothing impossible the character of a Christian it's the salt and we have the eight principles of the Beatitudes it's our influence that we can shine we can make the relationships, not stand up there to a bunch of strangers on a soapbox and think you're going to do anything, but you establish those relationships. It's a righteousness that's inward and real and not bunged on. 
It's our piety. There's no mechanical formalism, no hypocrisy. And our ambition should be beyond material but to seek glory to God. So our relationships, you're not going to have good ones unless you have a proper relationship with God. Well, you're not going to get the most out of your human relationship. You might have good relationships now, but the proper relationship, God will grow and make those existing ones beautiful and give you more. And commitment. It's just his authority. And understand that. And the people at the end of the Sermon on the Mount were just amazed at his authority. This was holy. Understand his authority and rely on it. That's a whirlpool. And... Um, I was at a uh, Christian college um, meeting, parent meeting, some weeks back, and a gentleman called Ray Helen came in, and he gave me this fabulous, took my mind back. Any of you ever had an above-ground pool when you were children? Above-ground pool? Yeah. And do you remember when your neighbours, your mates used to come over and used to do the whirlpool, and you'd jump on? Just go around and around, it'd get faster and faster, and the walls would be wobbling, you know, and... The, I remember the looks on the faces, you know, it was like extreme happiness, extreme joy, and it had momentum. And the key word of this um, parent meeting was, was the momentum that's created by our forefathers, you know. We've got this school happening, we've got this church that's been going for 10 years now, and the relationships and your inreach into the communities is, is very much a momentum. And the momentum does need people, because if you hop out, it does slow down a bit. The spirit works, the spirit is there, but the vessels, the vessels are needed. So I think be motivated. And it's, it's wonderful. I'm glad to be speaking here today on the launch of the Family Festival, which is six years, Sam, I think, is it? Eight. Eight. Time flies, eh? Hey? Next thing you know, I'll be 20. So what are we going to do between eight and 20? I think, I think we should all be uh, really excited about what comes forward. The super club. You know, the, the ministry to the interior, the support we give to each other. I think, uh, yeah, let's rebuild the passion on this. Get that whirlpool going. Uh, praise God. <laughs>